Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Kevin Hart here. This basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back on everything, even the sound system that auto-tunes the game. Curry from way downtown. Defense. Will the owner of a red sedan please visit guest services? Bet you've never heard cash back and sound like that. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halfway through the week. I hope all of you are having a productive and successful week so far. I <laughs> was so incredibly wrong on the two Game 7s in the last round as I backed off of my Celtics pick after six games of clinging to well, five games of clinging to it. And then I was so wrong about the Suns. But I've gotten the first two games of these two series is dead right. As is always the case when you're trying to make these predictions, you're going to be right sometimes, you're going to be wrong sometimes. Super interesting game tonight, though, on a bunch of different levels. We're going to get into all of it. And then at the end, we're going to bring Carson on. We're going to talk more Warriors in the weeds. We're also going to get into, I watched a ton of film on Celtics Heat tonight, uh, this morning. I'm going to get into the stuff that I learned from that as well. So stick around for the end. A couple of quick notes. Make sure that you guys like this video. And subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our content. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. I have a video that I'm working on right now that's not quite finished, but that should be out tomorrow morning. That's going to go over some uh, specifics of adjustments that the Celtics and the Heat can make in their series. 
it's a great place to see the video content that I do. So follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. All right. So I'm from Tucson, Arizona, which is just down the street from Phoenix. And so I've had quite a few uh, friends and family that were bummed that the Phoenix Suns lost. I personally was excited. Uh, for starters, I have no emotional attachment to the Suns. I think the Suns have done a horrible job of trying to expand their reach down to Tucson, even though it's right down the street and it's a metro area of over a million people. Feels kind of like a missed opportunity, but I was excited that Phoenix lost. I thought they were kind of an arrogant type of team, but most importantly, the Dallas Mavericks, I think, are a much more interesting matchup in this setting. And specifically... This matchup between Golden State and Dallas, I find to be very interesting because both of these teams are so remarkably different, not just from each other, but from everyone else around the league. Dallas is the quintessential modern basketball team. They do not care about traditional centers, traditional coverages. They don't care about traditional offensive sets and high motion, high ball movement, all of the things that just about every basketball coach since the dawn of this sport has leaned heavily on. What Dallas has done is created a play style and a roster that is specifically designed to succeed in this environment. Last, te- last time we saw a team that did something similar to this was the 2018 Rockets. Switched absolutely everything. Everybody on the floor was a switchable defensive player that can knock down threes. And then they had base core spacing concepts, right? Shooter in each corner, shooter on the wing, you know, five out, or if they'd have a guy in the dunker spot, right? And so they, Dallas has followed that same concept where it's all just mismatch hunting, pick on the weakest defender on the other team, alternate ball handling responsibilities between one supernova that's a star and then a handful of other guys that are capable of spelling the star for stretches, right? They're the quintessential modern basketball team. As forward thinking as you could possibly imagine. Golden State's also different from the rest of the league, but in a way that's impossible to replicate. Like, remember when the Atlanta Hawks drafted Kevin Horder and Trey Young in the same draft to be like their Steph and Clay? Do they play anything like the Warriors? Not, not even remotely close. As a matter of fact, they play more like the Mavericks than they do like the Warriors. It's because in order to play the way the Warriors play, there's a certain commitment to selflessness and weaponizing your own attention and keeping the ball moving and keeping yourself moving as a player that's really difficult to replicate because there's just not that many players who do it. You know, I think the closest thing as a guard to replicating what Steph has done in this era is Dame Lillard. And Dame Lillard doesn't do anything nearly resembling what Steph does off the ball or weaponizing attention, staying moving, creating baskets, outside of that static isolation environment, right? And so what's super fascinating to me about the series is you have this, you know, incredible kind of like like anomaly in basketball in the Golden State Warriors versus arguably the most forward-thinking modern basketball team. Both very different from the rest of the league, both very different from each other, and I expect it to be an incredibly interesting series as a result. I expected Golden State to win tonight, was fortunate enough to make a little bit of money on FanDuel in the process. That five and a half line was very safe as it turned out. Um, I actually wouldn't even be surprised if Golden State jumped up 2-0 in the series, but I do think that Dallas demonstrated some stuff tonight that that kind of backed up some of the reasons why I was confident in them and having a chance to win this series. To be clear up front, like, I was super confident in Boston. Like, I think Boston's going to beat Miami, and I feel very confident in that. I'll be shocked if Miami wins. These two teams I find to be very close. I lean Dallas. I picked Dallas. But I won't be the least bit surprised if Golden State wins. And that's going to be the interesting thing to track as we get further into the series. I want to start with Golden State's offensive process because I find it to be very interesting. I remember when Steph got into the league and he really started to ascend in 2015, right? There was this buzzword that started getting thrown around by Warriors fans. Gravity. You guys may or may not remember that. Warriors fans, I'm certain that you have. And the gist of it was this idea that Steph attracts lots of defensive attention and it creates opportunities for other people. And at first, I had a hard time reconciling with that because I wanted to be like, uh, all of the stars in the league dictate 
multiple defenders. And they do. You know, LeBron and Giannis and KD and all these guys, all of the bigger, you know, um, you know, swing forward superstar type of players are all great at applying rim pressure. And when you apply good rim pressure as a dominant athlete, you're going to collapse the defense. But there's a huge difference between the way that those players dictate defensive attention and the way that Steph dictates defensive attention. So the way that I like to call the refer to it, because a guy like LeBron or a guy like Giannis or a guy like KD also have gravity. What makes what Steph does so interesting, not just Steph either, it's Steph and Clay and Jordan Poole, but they have what I call reverse gravity. What's so unique about what they do is they drag defensive players away from the basket. And as a result of that, it opens up a boatload of opportunities at the rim that aren't even that don't even resemble rim opportunities for any other team. The vast majority of rim opportunities that other teams get are finishing in traffic or drawing the big man out of the basket and dropping it off to someone in the dunker spot. Or maybe if you get like two or three closeout attacks, you might get somebody who gets a free run to the rim. Golden State, it's like wide open dunks and wide open layups because the paint is vacated because the defensive attention that Steph draws is away from the basket. And it's always been super unique to me to see the way that that manifests. It always manifests in a bunch of assists because typically it's a bang, bang play out of a three on two or out of a four on three that leads to that. How many times tonight did you see Steph come off of a trap and drop it to Draymond and Draymond roll down the rim, you know, pull in a help defender from the wing and a kick out to an Andrew Wiggins three. It's the anatomy of the, Golden State offense, right? Well, it manifested in a dominating paint performance. It's the funniest thing about the Warriors. They've become popularized as the team that that is is like the three-point revolution, right? But they're really not a high-volume three-point shooting team anymore. Not even remotely close to what they were. I mean, they are a high-volume three-point team relative to old NBA teams. But compared to the rest of the league, there are a lot of teams that take more threes. Dallas was getting them up tonight, not making them either. But what Golden State does is they weaponize their three-point shooting better than anybody to create advantages elsewhere on the floor. Dallas did a really nice job scoring in the paint when the game was over. But at one point, Golden State had a 42-20 to advantage in paint points. And that's 1,000% driven by that reverse gravity. Golden State was 17 for 21 from two-point range in the first half. Think about how insane that is. Compare that to Boston, who at one point was like 10 for 38 from two in a game, in like game one of that series against the Bucks. You know, for the vast majority of teams going against great NBA defenses in the playoffs, it's really difficult to score in the paint, and it's really difficult to score at the rim. And this Golden State team has no trouble in that department because of their ability to weaponize their three-point shoot. And I was really, really impressed that everyone played well on Golden State offensively. I thought Jordan Poole was great. Clay Thompson missed some shots, but I, I, Clay Thompson kind of is what he is at this point. I feel like J- Jordan Poole and Steph are the more of the offensive fulcrum at this point. Andrew Wiggins, he kind of reminds me of Spencer Dinwiddie in the set. They're very different players. But in terms of their reliability, Golden State fans will tell you that, you know, three out of four nights, he's kind of a vagabond or, or unreliable on the offensive end. But then he has that big game where he's confident and he's knocking these shots down. I thought... He was excellent tonight. Um, Steph and Jordan Poole both did a really nice job of putting pressure, especially in transition, just getting up the floor and creating shots. The Golden State offense was humming. And Dallas did not do nearly a good enough job on that front. We will talk about that in a few minutes. But I did want to start uh, to move on. Before we go into anything with Dallas, I want to talk about Golden State uh, on defense. You know, I talked about before this series that Luka would be able to get any matchup that he wanted. And what, one of the things that I – and he especially early in the game, I thought Dallas got whatever they wanted. They just couldn't make any shots. They came out the gate getting wide open threes almost every time down the floor, and they just weren't making any of them, which is going to happen, especially in a, in a new environment, switching your matchups, going from a defensive team like Phoenix that's more traditional versus a swarming, faster, quicker defense that Golden State has. And it clearly affected them. And then also going on the road to a new arena – But what I thought Steve Kerr did a really nice job of was switching up his coverages. You know, early in the game, they 
didn't send a ton of help to Luca on his isolations when he was attacking people. They were stunting and doing things, but then it, what he would do is he'd just switch that up almost every other possession. And I really saw this in the second quarter. It was like, this time we're going to jump Luca while he's in the middle of the move with a double team. The first guy I saw them do this really well against was Jokic. Golden State had some awesome defensive performances against Jokic in the regular season. And what they figured out is like, when an offensive player is in the middle of a move, they're unaware of what's happening around them because they're in the middle of the process of the move. It's like when you're in a video game and you press like the spin move button in Madden, it's like once the spin move is started until the spin move is stopped, you can't really do anything, right? Like that's kind of the idea. And they would like, Jokic would be posting up on Draymond or whoever it was he was guarding. And then as soon as he would start his spin move, like that's when they would jump in because they know that while he's in the process of that spin move, that's when he's most vulnerable. They were doing that to Luka tonight. They were doing that to Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, but sparingly. They'd leave him alone on one possession, make him feel comfortable. Then the next possession down, that's when they would jump in. That sort of like keeping teams unstable with your coverages is a great way to keep a guy out of rhythm. They mixed in zone. They mixed in, at one point, a box and one. And I I thought it was interesting. Luca would basically kind of bring the ball over to which part of the zone he felt most likely to attack. And then he'd kind of back down there against their uh, 2-3 zone that they were running there. But that's where the box and one was genius. Because then Luca would bring it over to Steph to try to like back him down at the top corner of the zone. But then that that one in the box and one would be right there being disruptive. That kind of constant shuffling of your defensive coverages is what makes it's it's what you have to do in these settings to prevent people from getting comfortable. I thought Luca in that first quarter was way too comfortable, and Golden State did a much better job disrupting that as the game progressed. And it'll be really interesting to see the way that they adjust over time. You know, we're going to talk about Luca here in just a second because he really was feeling things out tonight. And I'll kind of get into that further in just a minute. But juxtaposed with that was Steph Curry. There was no feeling things out from Steph Curry tonight. He was aggressive from the jump. I talked a lot about his shot profile and the fact that he doesn't take as many you know, 2016 Steph shots as he used to. Probably it's two things. It's he's coming off a midfoot sprain. He's not quite athletically what he was last year. And with Jordan Poole's ascent, they have so much offensive talent on the floor that, you know, shot selection has a lot to do with what your personnel is like. Like even a guy like Luca wouldn't take nearly as many tough shots if he was playing alongside another star. And you could disperse those responsibilities enough. They're kind of, a lot of times those tough shots are are like punts. They're a way of like, just punting on the possession, but giving you a decent opportunity to score in the process. I thought Steph had a lot of that 2016 audacity tonight, running up the floor in transition and taking threes off the move, wild step back threes where he covers a lot of space. It's important for him to demonstrate that because that's what convinces Dallas to want to trap him on those screen and rolls. And I have in my notes, and we're going to get a little bit further into this later, but one of my biggest adjustments that I want from Dallas is to not trap as much because Steph isn't what he was in 2016. At least I think it remains to be seen over the course of the series. Still think he's a super duper star. Still think he's, you know, every bit is great, you know, in terms of his overall impact, but without that high end shot making, I don't think you have to trap him as much. What I would do is I would, as he's coming off of these screens or off of these dribble handoffs or anything off the ball, I would just switch. And if you're a big man's on him, I would press up into him and make him drive past you because I think it's an easier rotation on the back line at the rim than it is to rotate out of a trap 30 feet from the basket. But again, there's a reason why Jason Kidd and everybody, for whatever reason, wants to keep trapping Steph Curry. And it's fear. For everything that we've seen in Steph's decline, and guys, like Warriors fans, I I, I feel like a good half of Warriors fans are very aware of the fact that Steph has been declining. But then there's the other half that's in denial. Guys, it's in the percentages. He's not shooting nearly as well over a massive sample size compared to what he used to be. Still a superstar, but he's not shooting as well. But the audacity, taking the tough shots, that is what keeps the fear alive. And the fear is so necessary to continue the panic chasing, to continue the trapping, to continue the things that allow that reverse gravity to take place 
so that all those paint opportunities are there. And so I think that I, I told you guys before the series, the best opportunity for Golden State to win is for Steph Curry to be the best player in the series, for him to outplay Luka and for him to try as hard as he can to replicate 2016 Steph. And we're one game in and he did it tonight. I thought he was definitely better than Luka tonight. And I thought he was definitely closer to that 2016 version of himself in terms of the way he approached the game compared to what he's been doing of late. Round one goes to Steph Curry. Luca's round one was weird. I joked before the game in my preview that he reminds me a lot of LeBron in the way that game ones are basically a feel-out opportunity for him. And you can almost see him just trying stuff just to see what works. He was pretty bad tonight. I believe he had six turnovers. Wasn't seeing the help defense really well. We talked a little bit about Golden State and the way that they mix things up on him. Uh, got blocked a couple of times. Was got, I thought he did some over-penetrating and getting into the teeth of the defense too far. But at the same time, like he also wasn't playing much defense. Looked a lot more like the Luka from games one and two in Phoenix than it did from the Luka in games six and seven against Phoenix. And that's kind of becoming a staple for Luka in this playoff run which is so weird because in each of the last two playoff runs, he came out guns blazing against the Clippers. But like, I don't know if it's just him aging and maturing faster than we expect, or if this is actually a little bit of recklessness on his part, because you guys know how I feel about tricking off playoff games. These series, especially when you get to the conference finals, like these series are decided by the tiniest of margins. And so doing something like, tossing a game away to feel things out, I think is bad strategy. I used to say that with LeBron all the time. I thought they tricked off game one against Phoenix last year, feeling things out as Anthony Davis got outplayed by DeAndre Ayton, you know? And like, that's what Luka did tonight. He came out there and was loose with the basketball, loose with his decision-making, uh, poor effort on the defensive end. And all I can hope for his sake if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan, is that he did process enough information, that he did learn enough from this game to make the necessary adjustments. But for what it's worth, in that first quarter, before Golden State really started swarming, Dallas was getting really good shots. And so it's going to be important for Dallas to, and Luka in particular, to understand what Golden State did to him as the game progressed with the mixing up coverages, with the swarming, and make the necessary adjustments. But if there's one player right now, I've said before that I think Luka is in that conversation with Jokic and Steph and LeBron as the best offensive engines in all of basketball. I'd actually would probably lean Luka number one. I expect him to, to figure that stuff out over the course of this series. All right, we're going to bring my guy Carson on, and we are going to get a little bit further into the details of the series. How's it going, Carson? Fantastic, Jason. How are you? I can't complain, man. Well, that's just what I love to hear. Well, obviously, <laughs> you touch on where Lucas stands in that conversation for best offensive player, best offensive engine on the planet. And obviously, that was a really big reason that you had confidence in this Mavs team, just how unstoppable it seemed he would be in this matchup and why you ended up picking them to upset the Warriors. So not an ideal start for that pick in terms of result tonight. On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you about your pick for the Mavs to win this series over the Dubs? Zero. Um, I'm, wow. First of all, in, gen well, in general, I'm never going to overreact to a game one. Mm -hmm. I was very confident Golden State would win tonight, even though I leaned towards Dallas in the series. The only reason I said a four last night with Boston was because of the Al Horford thing. Like, Al Horford is so important to so many things that Boston does on the court, that him being out is is a huge problem. And I heard I heard some reporting today that he might miss game three too, that that he might not be able to clear protocols until game four unless he registers a certain number of negative tests, which is up in the air, right? So like Boston has a, like a serious personnel thing that throws off my pick a little bit. But like, what did I tell you guys I expected from game one? I expected Golden State to win. I expected Luka to feel things out and be sloppy. 
I didn't see I I saw some specific things like I saw I saw Steph show flashes of scoring that I haven't seen much from him in this playoff run so that's good that bodes well for Golden State I thought Steph in particular held up well against switches I thought Jordan Poole did not hold up well against switches in def- defensively I thought that I thought that both Jalen Brunson and Luka kind of had their way with Jordan Poole um, but that's to be expected but it's a good thing for Golden State that Steph held up really well. I thought I thought there were a couple of fouls he got called for that were BS where he held his position and and played well uh, uh, defending the ball. So uh, again, like that, and attacking Steph Curry and switches has always been a fool's errand because he's consistently been one of the most underrated defensive players of this era. He, but the the thing with Steph Curry that people forget is that he's freaking strong. Like he's he's six foot three and stout. And so even though he's not the quickest player in the world, just him having effort on the effort and focus and attention to detail on the defensive end automatically makes him a plus defender. But yeah, like there are positive things for Golden State, but I also loved Dallas's shot quality. What did you like, Carson? Did you think that Dallas was able to get quality shots tonight? Yeah, I thought for a lot of the night they were. And I also think that I completely agree with you on the point in terms of Luca having that feeling out process. And it never really feels like he's in a spot where he's not getting the looks that he wants. And, you know, there are some shots with him that are closer to toss-up propositions with the difficult shot making, but it always feels like he's in control when he wants to be. And obviously, it's a really poor shooting night from Dallas. They go 11 of 48 from deep. It's not like the Warriors had a, a phenomenal shooting night on the other end, but still you expect that to level out, and that is so important to what Dallas does offensively. So, I think I'm with you in terms of a never overreacting to a game one and b not thinking that if you play this game 10 times, Dallas is scoring more than 87 points in most of them just as a matter of shot making variance. Like I think this was definitely on the very low end of outcomes there, but is there one thing that you look at that you think you expect to change the most going forwards to be the most different from this game as compared to the rest of the series, just in terms of your confidence with that outcome. Dallas's defense. I think, I think, you know, and there, there are some very clear differences between the way that golden state plays offensively and any of the teams that Dallas has played. I mean, we just talked about this to open the show. Golden state style is so incredibly unique that, you know, it's going to take an adjustment. The, a couple a couple of specific details. So Phoenix, for instance, runs a hyper-traditional offense. They are pick-and-roll heavy. They have a traditional big. They have a playmaking guard that looks to pass before he looks to score. Even their two-guard that they have playing, like, literally mirrors his game after Kobe Bryant. So, like, they're a very vintage style of offense. Golden State and everything that they do with like Golden State spaces the floor and makes Dallas cover ground defensively in a way that none of the teams they've played so far has made them defend. In addition to that, Golden State is amazing with off-ball action. And I'm not just talking about Draymond at the top of the key, you know, looking for Steph coming off of the screen. It's more complicated than that. They'll have like, like for instance, if Steph is in the corner and they're doing a dribble handoff with Draymond with Steph coming off, and, you know, uh, even if there's two players involved, like Poole and Steph will be, they'll have like Wiggins and Clay on the other side of the floor, like set a pin down or a back screen for each other. And when they do that, the defenders that Dallas has that are supposed to be in help side will be navigating that little two-man game between Clay and Andrew on the other side of the floor. And so Steph will like come off of that dribble handoff, draw the two defenders and swing it over the top to Looney or to Draymond or whoever it is. And instead of there being someone under the basket to help on that role, there's nobody there because they're dealing with interchanges on the other end of the floor. So Golden State runs such a sophisticated offense that it's definitely going to take longer into this series. This is why, like, I expect Boston to win game two. I, I would not be the least bit surprised if Golden State went up 2-0 in this series and then Dallas started to build steam later in the series because Jason Kidd is an incredible defensive coach. The uh, Mavericks have demonstrated an ability to pick up on coverages. Like Phoenix ran a half dozen different variations of pick and roll and dribble handoff with all these cop, all these complications. And by the end of the series, like Phoenix or Dallas had just solved them. They'd solved all of them. 
Now, they may not ever solve them entirely the way they did with Phoenix. I feel almost a thousand percent certain that Golden State's not going to have a 27 point half at some point in this series. But that said, I do think Dallas will get better at tightening up those defensive rotations and getting better at being in the right spot. And most importantly, like I talked about earlier, I think at a certain point, they're going to have to stop trapping every Steph Curry pick and roll. And instead of doing that, which is giving Golden State that four-on-three advantage that they have literally a decade of practice executing, what I would do instead is I would hard switch, like almost like a show that turns into a switch with Powell or Kleba or whoever it is that's in that action, and then basically tell them, like, I don't give a damn if Steph drives right past you, but you have to push up into him and force him to drive because helping at the rim and rotating around to shooters is a lot easier than the uh, than rotating out of those traps 30 feet from the basket. And so I think I think Dallas defensively, like obviously they're going to shoot better as the series progresses, but defensively I thought they had a lot of room for improvement after tonight. We'll obviously see how they respond there, but I think you're absolutely right in highlighting just the difficulty of them dealing with the off-ball movement. And there were so many spots today where it was just – Beautiful streaking cuts to the basket, nearly uncontested by the Warriors. A lot of that set up by off-ball screens and everything that you talk about. And that's always been central to their offense. Like back in the heyday, I remember they would outpace the rest of the league by like 25% in terms of just cut possessions per game. And this year they were number one there again. And a lot of that is empowered by Steph's off-ball gravity. What you talk about with the attention that he demands with traps and all that, and just how that enables the freedom of movement and just attracts so much defensive attention. So tonight, he only had 21. It wasn't an overwhelming statistical output from him, but you said you felt like he was the best player on the floor. You certainly felt his impact in creating those quality shots for his teammates consistently. So, Jason, do you think Steph will be the most impactful player in this series? I don't think so because I think Luca will over the course of the series get stronger and stronger. That said, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Steph was. And if he is, then Golden State's going to win. It's it's really that simple. Again, like like guys, I I also think Luca's past LeBron at this point. So I'm not this is not some sort of relitigation of Steph's career or some sort of insult towards Steph. I LeBron and Steph are my two favorite players of this entire era. I think they were they were, I think they were the two best players of this era. I I view I view I have just an unbelievable amount of respect for those two guys. It's just it's the year 2022. And these days, Steph shoots about 35% from three in the playoffs, and Luka is ascending into superstardom, just like Steph was back in 2013 and 2014, right? So, like, it's it's just the way I feel about the times. It's The question of the series will be, does Steph have one last, ultimately great playoff run in him? Because if he does, they're going to beat Dallas, and they very well may beat Phoenix or Miami, or, or excuse me, uh, Miami or Boston, whoever comes out of the Eastern Conference, right? That's that's the the name of the game here is is it still is it still in Steph's window or is it not? And, and we're gonna find out. But like the thing you got to worry about with Luca is one, he's big and strong, so he thrives under physicality. So as the series progresses, he gets stronger, especially since he has a size advantage over basically everybody on Golden State's roster. And then secondly, he wins with his brain. He, that he, the guys like Luca, the guys like LeBron, the guys like Jokic, the, those the guys that are wired as those high end playmakers, they always get stronger later in series. I can't tell you how many times in LeBron's career he'd be trailing in a series and come back to win. They were trailing, you know, in that Eastern Conference Finals against the the uh, against the Bulls in 2011. In 2012, they were trailing against the Pacers. Then they were trailing against the, Cel- the Celtics, and then they were trailing against the Thunder in the finals. Like they were trailing against the Pacers again in 2013. In, uh, in 2013, they, uh, they they fell behind to the Spurs three games too. Like LeBron was constantly behind in playoff series, but then in Game Five, Six, and Seven, he'd always be the best player because he's just constantly processing information, absorbing all of the adjustments and the things that he knows win in the chess match of the NBA playoffs and he gets stronger as the series progresses. That's that's what's going to happen with Luka. It's not that Steph doesn't do that as well. I thoroughly expect Steph to be every bit as good at the end of the series as he is early, but Luka everything's graded on a, it like everything with him is a different like transition. Like he's always going to be a lesser player early in the series than he is later in the series. 
I agree with you. And it's not that it's a massive margin, but I feel like we just have to look at the recent resumes, the consistent brilliance of Luca's playoff production, and just not understate that it is literally over his playoff career, 32, nine and eight on 58% true shooting. <laughs> and this is something we've talked about before. There is a difference between the direct imposition of Luca physically on ball, commanding the game as that maestro manufacturing shots for himself, kicking out to wide open teammates for three because he collapses the defense every time. And Steph, yes, attracting a ton of attention, but having some of the inconsistency in terms of shot making. And at the end of the day, his teammates still having to capitalize on his gravity and create for themselves. So certainly both guys are fundamental. They make their offenses what they are. Luca also, though, in these playoffs, this is before tonight, but the Mavs had been 18 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. It's just in every way. He wow. has been the more dominant player as of late. He has been the more impactful player in terms of volume physical imposition and I mean like you've said it doesn't feel like there's any answer for him in this series so I think we need to default to the guy who would have been the answer before the series at this point and that to me is still Luka Doncic yeah and I wanted to to read a couple of numbers to you guys I tweeted these out earlier but uh in terms of Dallas's shooting because I thought they got quality shots tonight and I think they would have, they finished like 10 for 42 from three or something like that. So these are, these are the Dallas role players on wide open threes in this playoff run. So remember that's at least six feet from the nearest defender, which Dallas generates just a ton of these types of threes. Maxi Kleba, 51% on four attempts per game. Jalen Brunson, 48% on two attempts per game. Dorian Finney-Smith, 46% on four and a half attempts per game. Davis Bertans, 44% on one attempt per game. Spencer Dinwiddie, 44% on one and a half attempts per game. Reggie Bullock, who's basically their best shooter, is only 35% on four and a half attempts per game. So, like, you could argue that he's due for some positive regression. Like, the, the, the kick to wide open shooters game for Dallas has been absolutely deadly in this playoff run. And it just didn't work tonight. And that that's one of those things. Like, Golden State also... Like, and it, again, you always got to, you, you got to check for your blind spots. And every time I make a pick just inherently, even though you guys know, I try extremely hard not to be biased. It's something that I work hard at. I do the work. I, I don't just make a pick and then just stick to the pick. I'll, I'll watch film. And, and, and I, I, uh, to be honest, I don't care about the pick. I don't care if people rub it in my face. If I'm wrong, that's why I picked Milwaukee in game seven, even though I was on Boston for the first five games. Like I care more to quote a colonism. I care more about getting it right than I do about being right. And so from that standpoint, like I just want, I, I try to check my blind spots and maybe in this case it's golden state, you know, they're there. Clay Thompson can obviously shoot a lot better than he did tonight. Steph is capable of explosive games. I mean, Draymond green, actually, I thought he did a decent job looking to score tonight, but he's capable of more, but I, I thought Dallas in general vastly underperformed their shot quality tonight. And so I think over the course of the series, that would get better for them. Regardless of what we think in terms of that progression to the mean and talking about Luca as the best guy in this series, it was not a great night for them, and it was not a great night at all for Luca individually. And there was a photo going around, I'm sure many of you saw it, of Luca. <laughs> it kind of surfaced this morning, but I think we can assume it was last night, out with Bobon on the town in the bay, sipping on a beer. So uh should he have not done that? Should he have not gone out for that brew last night, Jason? What do you think, given the result? I I think Luca having a beer before the game. Um, even okay, so I, I think it was. I think it determined. Uh, somebody found out through a Golden State Reddit page that it was from yesterday. But even if it was the morning of, that would that would be the most on brand thing from Luca ever. <laughs> yes. or, or, or like what what was it? Huka Doncic this off season. But like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the thing with Luca is he, we've talked about this before. Like the dude, the dude doesn't operate under normal, you know, professional athlete, uh, like standards. Like I, I was literally thinking during the game tonight, as I was watching, I'm like, there are these lineups on the floor and it's like, there are nine basketball players on the floor that are all in peak physical condition. Like arguably the most doughy player on the floor, not named Luca, is Draymond Green, and he's not doughy. Like he's he's just big, you know what I mean? And like, and like Luca's just he, he looks like a fish out of water in a lot of cases, in the sense that like he's just sticking out like crazy on the floor as this one guy that doesn't 
you know, that doesn't look like he's in the same physical condition. I mean, it's really this simple guys, like a 16 ounce beer that like, let's, let's, let's pretend it's a Coors light, something light, right? Like it's, it's still at 16 ounces. It's still like 150 calories, right? Or like 140 calories. Like you have two of those at dinner. That's, that's a hefty amount of calories that you're taking in. Right. So like my thing is like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with consuming alcohol in the day before game. All the, all the pros are like drinking wine and stuff like that. But man, when you start putting down a few beers, like, I feel like, I feel like that just makes it hard to keep the pounds off. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts here. I think you touched on some very good <laughs> stuff. It's incredibly on brand. And if I were to go with the most on brand things an NBA player could do, it would probably be Zion doing a Mountain Dew commercial, LeBron posting a picture of a book that he is on page one through 20 of, and Luca down in some <laughs> brews publicly before one of the biggest games of his NBA career. I love it. It's his thing. And also, by the way, He's a Slav and he's out there with another Slav. And I come from Yugoslav blood, Jason. My dad or my grandpa oh, really? uh, grew up in Yugoslavia. Yes, he's Croatian. My middle name is Velomir. And those guys aren't going to lay off the bruise. Really, it's a miracle that he wasn't hammered off Shlivovitz, I think. So <laughs> I'm all for it. And one more thing. Luca is a legend manufacturer. He has the personality, the confidence, the swag. We all saw the clip of him after game five now where he says everybody you know acting tough when they're up he was laughing at the suns throughout game seven he lives for the legendary moment and so how amazing would it have been if that image all state wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch garage and the car inside and without the right home and auto insurance coverage the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Warm weather brings many outdoor activities. Happy hours after work, weekend hikes, pool parties, and family barbecues. With all that time spent in the sun, we're often not thinking about what it's doing to our hair. Those rays can seriously affect your scalp and hair, making right now the perfect time to start taking Nutrafol to help keep your hair healthy this summer. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology, life stage, and lifestyle factors. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Get results you can run your fingers through. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T. R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code hoops. That's H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com promo code hoops. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. 
Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Surfaced and then he dropped 50. Like that would be a hilarious story that you hear about him for decades. So I love it in every way. Uh, you will hear no Luca drinking beer publicly criticism for me. I think it's great. Luca, Luca, and Steph are two of the biggest psychopaths in the entire NBA. It's uh, yeah. I, again, I, I, I texted Ryan, uh, our producer, before the show. I was like, I'm so glad Dallas won because I find this series to be so much more interesting than that boring Phoenix team against this yeah. Warriors team. And like again, you just they they could not be more different in the way that like. Steph is, there are no inefficiencies with Steph. Like, I guarantee you there's not a thing that goes in his body that doesn't improve him as an athlete. You know what I mean? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, like comparing those two, are they're so different. But at the same time, up here, they're both like, legitimately, I want to murder you. Like, they're like, I, like, I want yeah. to... I want to embarrass you and and trounce you and and step on your name and make you go home and feel like you don't belong in this league. And and that dynamic, I think you're going to have moments from both of them in the series where they I I it looked like on an early missed free throw from Steph that Luca said something to him and then Steph looked back with kind of an intense look and said something back. I I couldn't tell exactly what he said, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got into it a little bit as the series progressed because their personalities do clash on a lot of levels. But all I can say is as a basketball fan, I am so stoked at, at, for this series. And I hope I hope Luca drags it out and I hope it's a six or seven gamer because I can't get into this matchup. I am 100% with you. The contrast in era in terms of the superstars, obviously the rising young guy and the possibly descending all-time legend and style as far as the team's personality, all of it, I think, is so much fun. And I hope that this is a long and very exciting series, and I think that it should be. Let's talk about the other series for a second, because obviously we're one game deep into both conference finals now. We have game two of the Eastern Conference Finals tomorrow. Celtics went down in game one. Jason, what do you think is the biggest adjustment that they can make going forward in this series? So I, there were two, but I'll, I'll focus on one here really quick because I'll save the other one as a Miami thing because I think it relates to Miami as well. Um, so I have a video that I'm going to be coming out with probably tomorrow morning because I cut a ton of plays together. Uh, Boston, and again, we talked about this, teams don't want to switch early in the series. A couple of reasons. They want to avoid having small guards jockeying for rebound position with giant players all night long because it's fatiguing, right? The other thing, too, is you want to keep your rim protection as close to the rim as possible for rotation. So, like, if Robert Williams, for instance, on a simple dribble handoff, ends up getting switched on to Gabe Vincent, and Gabe Vincent just dribbles over to the other wing and then swings it over to Jimmy Butler, and then Jimmy Butler drives to the basket – now Robert Williams is stuck on a shooter on the other side of the floor and he can't help at the rim. So there are like little dynamics like that that are why teams don't want to switch. But at the end of the day, like you can still help off of another player to help on a Jimmy Butler drive. And most importantly, you're forcing Jimmy Butler at that point to score over defenders at least. There, there is a clear line. It went about, about eight minutes into the first quarter where Boston chasing over the top of all those dribble handoffs was working, like disruptive working. And it, it's a combination of fatigue from game seven and some of the stuff from uh, uh, some of the stuff from just how difficult it is to chase over the top of screens. But right around that eight minute mark, Ty, like Tyler Harrow actually checked in a few minutes prior, but Tyler Harrow got going and he got going with the fact that that all of a sudden Derek White, the same guy who was doing an amazing job fighting over those dribble handoffs for the first half of the first quarter, he just suddenly started getting caught on the screens. And there is a clear delineation in shot quality between what, what Miami got when Boston was switching versus when Boston was in their drop. And, and, and they're eventually going to – they just simply have to eventually start switching these handoffs because at the end of the day, Miami's biggest weakness is shot creation outside of Jimmy Butler. You, as the Celtics, have like four dudes who can create their own shot. 
right? Like Marcus Smart can, Jalen Brown can, Jason Tatum can. Like even Peyton Pritchard is like, he's just as capable of creating his own shot as like a Gabe Vincent, right? Like, so at the end of the day, play to your strengths. If you get into that contest with them, you can force them to become an isolation team. And like, wait till you see this video, guys. And again, if you, you got to follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. I'll be releasing it tomorrow. I have dozens of examples all lined up that demonstrate exactly what I'm talking about. Miami got great shots against Boston's drop. And they're just going to eventually... And this is a team... Now, some of it's personnel. Because obviously, without Horford out there and Marcus Smart out there, it's easier to switch. But the reality is, is they were doing it still with like... They were still doing it with Grant Williams and Robert Williams in the backcourt. In those actions. And those guys could very well still be playing a lot when Al Horford and Marcus Smart come back. So some of it is just strategy type stuff. And one of the things that they did, you know, and, and this is, this is, I only saw it once in the game, but they have to do it more frequently. But there was a play where, uh, where Tyler Harrow is working on the right wing and he brings the ball up the floor and he calls for Robert Williams's man to come set a screen. And he did that deliberately. And it was bam, by the way, he did that deliberately because he knows Robert Williams is going to drop. So he knows if Bam comes up and sets a good screen on Derek White, I'm going to get a wide open shot. Well, on that play in the corner was Jason Tatum guarding someone else for the heat. I can't remember who it was. And Robert Williams, when they called for the screen, Robert Williams looked at Tatum and pointed and said, you go. And so literally Tatum ran up with Bam and Robert Williams just ran over to get Tatum's man and Tatum jumped the handoff or jumped the screen. And so instead of, Instead of Tyler Harrow coming off of that screen and being freed up and having space to operate, he came off that screen and Tatum was on him, like on him. And immediately Harrow had to pick up his dribble and Tatum knocked it free and ran down the other end and had a layup. And so here's the thing. If you're obsessed with keeping Robert Williams at the basket at the, for the fear of – at the expense of any switching – then you need a pre-switch and you need to send Tatum up there or Brown up there or whoever it is. But those are those little details. Boston, it, you, this is a Miami team that struggles to create shots. If you let them operate with an advantage, and we did a whole thing on this last night. Miami is an advantage offense. Everything they do is predicated on getting lesser offensive players with separation from a defender so that they have opportunity to succeed even though they are lesser offensive players. And so at a certain point, you are playing into Miami's advantage every possession that you drop. Now, they went switching late in the game, and when they did, what happened? Jimmy Butler relentlessly attacked Peyton Pritchard every single time down the floor. They would run action with Gabe Vincent, either a dribble handoff or a high ball screen, and it was like Tatum on, on Jimmy Butler and Peyton Pritchard on Gabe Vincent, and they would get those switches, and then Jimmy Butler would score on Peyton Pritchard. And he had some baskets, but there were, there were some tough ones in there. He took a spinning fadeaway that Peyton Pritchard defended perfectly. He just knocked it down. And what I'm saying is I'd rather have them make that than them get the easy shots against your drop. And most importantly, Peyton Pritchard won't even be out there as the series progresses, especially in game two. In game two, it won't be Peyton Pritchard. It'll probably be Marcus Smart. And Peyton Pritchard will only be out there for a few minutes. So it's a, it's a simple adjustment that Boston has to make at some point if they're going to take away Miami's biggest advantage. Let's flip this to the other side. What's the biggest adjustment you think the Heat need to make? So I'm not going to call it an adjustment because they already made the adjustment. They made it to start the second half. But in the first half, Miami was very conventional defensively. They still did a lot of switching. They would be willing to put Bam off on dribble handoffs or ball screens and things like that. But they were not anywhere near as aggressive. They weren't, they weren't applying full court pressure. They weren't stunting and doubling and playing passing lanes. In that second half, Miami came out with unbelievably aggressive defense. Jumping every single passing lane. Applying a ton of ball pressure. And the reason why that's so specifically important is because of the fact that Boston's biggest offensive weakness is their ability to manage a basketball game. Their ability to, to do the things that a point guard new, normally does. The job of the point guard is not just to feel the flow of the game, which we've talked about extensively on the show, so I'm not going to get into it again tonight. But what the, another job for the point guard is navigate ball pressure and get you into your offense. Get the ball up the floor against someone who's pressuring you and get the ball to whoever it is that's starting the action. That's their job. And on this Boston team, because they don't really have a point guard, Marcus Smart 
is a defensive point guard, but he's not an actual point guard. As a result, all of those point guard responsibilities are falling to Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown in last night's game, and then in Marcus Smart as well when he's actually available. And so the more Miami presses, the more they're aggressive, the more they're up in their passing lanes, the more they're, they test Boston's biggest weakness. Now, I expect Boston to eventually settle down and figure that out, but I think Miami's best chance to win this series is to continue to press as much as they can, and then on offense, anything that Boston's not switching, so usually if Daniel Tice is on the floor or Robert Williams, just anything, any action that Boston is reluctant to switch, continue to hunt that stuff because they're getting great looks when they go up against Boston's drop. All right. Last question of the night for you here related to that same series. Who do you think has a bigger game tomorrow, Jason Tatum or Jimmy Butler? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, statistically, it could be a number of different things um, because Jimmy Butler is putting up just unbelievable monster numbers right now, and he's so good at manufacturing scoring numbers just by grinding out points at the free throw line and in transition. We did a whole thing on that last night. Um, Tatum. It looks like it looks like Miami is going to do everything they can to attack Tatum and get the ball out of his hands. And I believe they did that specifically as an adjustment because in the first quarter, Tatum was doing an amazing job getting middle penetration, getting into the paint, and kicking to wide open shooters. So I think I, I think it's very possible that Tatum doesn't have a dominant statistical game because it's going to be difficult to score against Miami's defense with the amount of attention they're paying to him. But here's the thing. If Tatum does exactly what he did in that first half last night in the second half, meaning just take care of the basketball and navigate the ball pressure better, even if it even if it ends up not being you and you get the ball after you get the ball across half court, it's just like for him, it's just managing the game, continuing to draw defensive attention so that your teammates can make plays, continue to get dribble penetration as much as you can, and then continue to be the dominant defensive player that you are. It's very possible that he has 25, five and five, but is the best player on the floor tomorrow. So it's hard to say what will manifest in the box score, but I expect Boston to win tomorrow. And I think Tatum will be the best player on the floor. How confident are you in his ability to not force the issue, to remain patient, to remain in control, to make those good unselfish decisions, to play within the flow? How likely do you think it is that he actually executes in that way? I'm confident that he will for stretches. I'm just also confident that he'll continually devolve into that because, right? I mean, he learned that lesson against Milwaukee, but then he did it again last night. You know, like it's just the, we've talked about this before, like Tatum and Brown have gotten better as playmakers. They have, but they have a natural tendency. We did a whole thing on this literally in the first round against Brooklyn. Like no matter how much, no matter how much you improve as a basketball player on the margins, you have your core identity. Like my core identity is a score. It's always been the way I've played. Kind of matches some things in my personality. Per my personality, I have a very narrow focus. I am not good at multitasking. I'm not good at seeing. I'm not observant of what's happening around me, but I'm very good at the things that I'm specifically focusing on. So my personality matches that of a score because when I'm on the court, I, I am relentlessly attacking you and trying to score the basketball. Over the years, I've gotten better at making reads. Over the years, I've gotten better at kicking the shooters and things like that. But no matter what, there's no amount of work I could put in into playmaking to become a great playmaker. Like that's the guys who are wired like that are a different personality. They're more, you know, they tend to be more like uh, uh, upbeat personalities that are very like outgoing and like a LeBron or a magic, right? They're usually like high energy socialites that, that, that are very friendly and outgoing. And at the same time, they're, they're great with divided focus and they have great awareness of what's happening around them. And they, those guys have to fight their natural tendency to be aggressive. Remember with LeBron, it's like LeBron keeps passing up the shot. LeBron keeps passing up the shot. It's like LeBron had to fight that to get to the point where he was more aggressive, right? Well, that's the situation here with Boston. Like Tatum has made leaps as a playmaker and as a decision maker, but he'll never be a natural with that kind of thing. He'll fight that for the rest of his career. And so he could come out in game two, game three, and game four and be excellent running the offense and then come back to Miami for game five. And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he had another stretch like that. I mean, dude, he had six turnovers in that third quarter. Six. 
Like that's that's a complete combustion. There were he had mm-hmm. three consecutive pick sixes, three consecutive possessions where he came down to turn the ball over for run out dunks or layups. So like you know for everything that he learned against Milwaukee, he regressed in game one because that's just kind of going to be his natural process. I I don't think there's any chance that ever goes away, but I do think he'll be good enough to win the series. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. I sincerely appreciate your support. We will be back tomorrow night after the final buzzer of Celtics Heat. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel, follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT for video content. I'll have a Celtics Heat video coming out tomorrow. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys' support. Rocking with the show. I will see you guys tomorrow night. volume Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch garage and the car inside and without the right home and auto insurance coverage the cost to repair this could eat up your savings so bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hey, it's Kevin Hart. In this basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back all my game tickets. Plus, tickets for 23 of my biggest fans to cheer me on while I enjoy the game. I appreciate the support, people. Eat that pretzel. This will never get old. Use more napkins. Okay, this is starting to get old. Say the tagline. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase. Make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, Tanner Girl Girl Shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.